I think Chris Nee is becoming a villain. I think we have we have seen and experienced enough in the last few days to where he's not sad, he's not angry, he is just content with that the world around him could be burning and doesn't seem to care. And to me, that is horrifying. I don't know how to respond to that. I've just accepted the reality of the situation. Exactly. He doesn't care about anything. No, I don't have a good Joker voice. I'm not going to bore people with that. It's like, it's like Sinone talking about a stepsister or something. I'm just not going to do that to people. You remember it was the stepsister, not the sister-in-law. That's good. It's also like, you remember (laughs) that I, that I stand up for these podcasts. What my challenge to our audience will be is to, create a Chris knee on the bench visual, but make it the Joker war paint that he is in the jail cell in, in Batman uh, dark Knight. Okay. I'll be the fattest Joker ever. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brennan Sinone. I'm joined by the, I don't, can I say the fattest joker ever, Chris? Is that okay? Sure, have at it. We've already introduced it. It's in play. It's on the record. As well as Zach Blaustein. Boy, do we have an episode for you guys today. Stuff is happening. We're recording this uh, at 2.45 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. God knows how irrelevant this actual episode will be by the time it hits the airwaves, the podcast of Spear near you, but we're going to give it a good old college try. Stuff has been happening, continues to happen. We're getting closer and closer to the early signing period, so that means weird stuff is happening. I don't have a script for this, guys. We're just going to kind of freelance and talk about things that we want to talk about for the episode. Cool? That's also how you cover December. Joker, once again, just embracing madness around him. You know what can help you embrace madness around you? Chattanooga whiskey. When the world's burning, you're feeling like, man, Nothing's right in the world. Just pour yourself a, a, a little pour, you know, some one, two ounces of some Chattanooga whiskey. Could be their bourbon. Could be their delicious winter-oriented rye with all the yummy spices and sugary flavors that you get from uh, from the heavy rye element. Or uh, just 111 proof if you're really just feeling like getting after it. And it'll put a, you know, put a little relaxation in your life and you won't feel quite as... Uh, Jokerish as Chris Nee feels. So that's our podcast sponsor for this episode. Shout out to Chattanooga Whiskey. They, in all seriousness, do an amazing job in the craft of Surrey game. Very thankful to have them as our sponsor. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Wednesday evening, I go to do yoga. Insert Brendan did a yoga joke, whatever. Trying to relax a little bit. Get out. About 50 missed text messages. Easy for me to say from the 24-7 group chat. Other text messages abound as well, all work-related, multiple missed calls. DJ Lundy announces he's entering the transfer portal. By the time I sit down, tweet about it, put some thoughts about it on the message board, and and I think either Chris or Brett wrote the story for us and got it out quickly, Uh, and I'm comprehending what just happened, Rodney Hill announces that he's entering the transfer portal. So let's talk about that, guys. Two players who were decent uh, contributors for FSU last year to good. DJ Lundy was a good linebacker last year, your third linebacker, but a good one. Rodney Hill was your third running back. Maybe didn't have the ex- live up to the expectations we had for him, but still a contributor. Uh, both announced that they will enter the transfer portal. To our knowledge, neither has actually entered yet. What do we make of it, Chris? 
is that also the case for Malcolm Ray at this point? Yeah, Malcolm Ray also announced that he was entering. Uh, to my knowledge, he has not entered yet either. That was, he, no, he did a day before. 3 p.m. or so on Thursday. When did he announce? Yeah. Tuesday or uh, Wednesday? Tuesday, I think. Yeah. Tuesday. Uh, I mean, it's negotiation season. That's what's going on. Dollar figures are being chased. Interest and in playing opportunities are being chased. It's a back and forth. Like I, I, I long ago viewed it as a salary cap sport. Last offseason made me feel that way about it. It's it's only amplified this offseason. That's where we're at. That's what we're doing. You know, your roster is going to be top heavy with guys you're ultra invested in, and then you're going to hopefully have enough to build basically to 44 capable bodies, 22 on each side of the ball there. Special teams also matters. So increase that number by not a half dozen. So I guess 50 or so is what you're working towards. And some guys are going to like what they're going to be given and earn in that structure. And others are going to look for different opportunities. And that's both with PT and M-O-N-E-Y. So that's what it is. I mean, I, I don't feel like beating around the bush at all on it. You know, DJ Lundy's an ultra good linebacker for FSU. He became their third best linebacker in their rotation this year and probably their most important experience returning piece. I'm sure he believes there's a number that would satisfy what he should be given, and I presume that, you know, they're a part on that number, and that's part of that. And Rodney Hill is a guy who I think all three of us, I can speak for it, very high on him. I think he's fully capable of being a really good football player and a very capable back, but you're talking about a room that also has Keziah Holmes, is adding Cam Davis. Lawrence yeah, it's going to be, what, five, six deep? Yeah, you have Lawrence Toffoli returning. Plenty of pieces there. You know, I, at the end of the day, like, it's by committee in that room. It's always been by committee in that room. Trey Benson got paid really well last year, and he was running back 1A. But in general, in the history of Mike Norvell offenses, it's more generally been by committee than a central figure in that room. And I think they recruit that room well enough and feel good enough about what they have there. That like if Rodney Hill wants to walk, then he has the opportunity to walk. You know, I think they'd welcome him too if he decides to come back. I think that's true for both of those young men. Malcolm Ray, you know, What's that, what? been here a really long time. So, you know, he, he is what he is in the rotation of that position. At the same time, it, it's all about moving money around. Like FSU can go get players for the money being asked for that are comparable, maybe equal, maybe better. It's it's what this is. Go ahead, Sano. I, I want Zach to jump in because he was waving his hand frantically. I'm trying to produce. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think Florida State does value how players exit the program. I mean, they value the players' actions, every action that they you know, perform while they're inside the program. But on their way out, I think that matters a ton, especially for guys like you said, Chris, that may want to return. I'm not saying that applies to this specific situation. Like, I don't know if DJ Lundy or Ronnie Hill either want to return. But we saw some comments made on social media that, you know, we're, we're not like, for instance, I think Malcolm Ray handled his uh, announcement pretty well. Just said, sorry, no nation entering the tra- or thing about entering the transfer portal. So multi-year guy, a guy that's, you know, doesn't have NFL upside. So like it makes sense for him to go explore his options and try to get as much, you know, money at this level um, as possible. But um, to add to that, Zach, I'm very confident Malcolm Ray, if he wanted back, FSU would welcome him back with with open arms. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know one way or the other about the other two. Sorry. Continue. Josh Farmer is obviously the most prominent individual that's actually entered the portal, actually did the paperwork and went through compliance with it and actually was in it that returned, right? In the time we've done this, that this has been the situation over the last two to three years. Is there other instances in FSU's case where that's happened? I mean, For the most part, when it's happened, it's been departure. 
Uh, Leonard Warner. Yes, that's an one. A couple point. years ago, ended up being a contributor, but not to the extent, obviously, that Josh Farmer was, who has legit pro upside. Oh uh, no, yeah, that that would be the. Main and here one. recently, we had Pat Payton, who you know put out tweets and things of that sort. And to this point in time, he's not entered the portal, and that that storm has seemed to calm. But you know, hey, that's Thursday at three p.m. Might not be true on Thursday at four p.m. Yeah, I just so for Ronnie's like specific that. We've talked about on here, like you said, Chris, we all think pretty highly of him as a player. Um, he showed his explosiveness and practice consistently on kickoff returns and in the running game. But I just, I wonder what the market's going to be like. Cause it's not, you know, whereas if you're trying to find a, a skilled linebacker right now in the portal or an offensive lineman, it's pretty sparse, but the running back market is pretty robust. And, you know, for all the untapped potential that Rodney Hill might have, he doesn't have a whole lot of production yet. So I, I really do wonder what his options are going to be. And I wish the best for him. Um, he was a really, you know, good good guy and a, a good player to deal with throughout his recruiting process and while he was on the roster. Um, but I do kind of wonder what that market looks like. Because we saw a guy like C.J. Campbell, obviously not the same situation, but he was a walk-on player at Florida State, entered the portal. And I think his top options right now are probably Florida Atlantic and like Arkansas State. So wish the best for those guys. Um, but I, but I am very, very interested as to what the market looks like, um, for Rodney Hill. And even a guy like DJ Lundy, um, who is probably one of the top available linebackers now, if he, if he does enter the portal. I am, well, go ahead, Chris, cause I have some that might deviate our conversation flow, but no, I was just going to say that like the linebacker market is, is scarce right now. Like it's underwhelming. I've looked into several of those guys that have currently entered and Lundy would be one of the better, but we also have a great deal of experience of who and what DJ Lundy is. And we've enjoyed watching his improvement. He's become a better player in this program. And he became a guy who was very important, very good run stopper for them. And he's improved in all regards. But like, you know, maybe that's why he's going in that market because he does have value in a relatively scarce market. Go ahead, Brendan. I spoke to an agent the other day who privy to, and we put out some of the numbers at Knowles 24 seven of, of what we're hearing, what the players were asking for. Um, and he thought that with DJ Lundy, like, could come close to that maybe in the open market. I'm personally skeptical, but the market is, you know, barren, like you guys said. What Rodney Hill asked for, which was significantly more than what Trey Benson made this past season. And to be fair to Rodney, he did say on social media that some of this was not money-related. I, Based on my reporting, I would push back on that but also i haven't talked directly to rodney so i'm just trying to be fair and transparent are we do have the battles end as a sponsor for for segments of this podcast and that's us being transparent and trying to be fair to, to all parties involved um from what i know uh this was at least the, the jumping off point was about money and rodney's camp asked for a lot of money by the way i remember a couple of years ago i mentioned someone's camp i think it was about chris parson and someone on Twitter got on me. He's like, you think high school players have camps? Yes. Do college players have camps? Yes. Is a camp sometimes just parents and coaches? Yes. Is it sometimes agents and managers as well? Yes. Like, welcome to college football in 2023, guys. It's becoming a lot like a minor league system. Um, so FSU has, at this point, roughly 15 outgoing transfers. Of that group, there's, what, three or four who we feel like are guys that would have been potential contributors. 
yes. significant pieces the next season. So, like, it's not panic button time by any stretch of the imagination. And let's be honest, every school in the country is dealing with this right now. And talking to people tied into the world of, you know, NILs, collectives, and all that go on with that, it's not an FSU issue. It's a college no. football issue. And yeah. I, I think a lot of people gather that and understand that. But I think it's worth, you know, making sure those that may have tunnel vision solely to FSU understand this isn't only an FSU thing. This is everywhere. Tyler Florida Barron left lost. Tennessee because he yeah. wants more money. He yeah. wants a better opportunity. And that's why he's looking at the old misses of the world and some of those who we know are avid spenders in the portal, especially on that side of ball where they need to drastically improve. I have three three talking points. And to Chris's point, like there are Miami lost their number two wide receiver. Um, Florida lost their starting running back. Georgia and losing, edge. And edge. Um, and a lot of players in the prep class, but I digress. Um, It's happening in the region and the country. Like it is not unique to Florida state. We focus on Florida state. You guys listening, focus on Florida state. Like that that is just a, it's a microscope for us. Um, I think that, you know, the season ending more or less as abruptly as it did. And I know they still have a bowl game to play, but we, we understand we've talked about like what, what shifted, uh, with the snub. I think that kind of was an escalator for some of this, although some of it was existing beforehand. Um, but but I have three talking points that I want to get to. I'm just going to throw them up there. One, two, three. You guys can take it in any direction you want, or you can just pass on all three. But these are points that I've just been thinking and, and simmering on the last few days. Uh, point number one, you guys refer to the, the linebacker market. We use the term market in general. All right. And I feel like it's a nebulous term and, and I need to get better with that because we, we've had posters asking, what is the market? Like when a player wants to go and test that quote unquote market, what does it look like? Well, here's the thing that's so interesting. Like different collectives will talk to each other. Different coaches will talk to each other. Different players will talk to each other. This isn't like the NFL or any other professional entity where there is, uh, you know, just documented agencies and numbers like out there that are universal for everyone to weigh against each other. You don't know what the market is. And even if someone, say, signs uh, an NIL agreement after they sign on with the school for NIL opportunities that, that are financial, uh, then like sometimes they're fulfilled, sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's monopoly money, sometimes it's not. Better collectives in Florida State has proven to be like one that, that pays its its payments to players like with retention and stuff. Like, yeah, like those are real, but some are not. So my point being. And this is my first one is that when we talk about market and players wanting to test it, they go out there in the cold and they don't always know what it's going to be. And there's a lot of players who end up like Derek McClendon last year, thought he would get more last year, was promised he would get a lot, probably ended up taking a pay cut, going to a worse program, winning minimal number of games. And there's like cautionary tales. How many players go into the transfer portal and never get out of it because they thought they would have something better on the other end. That's point number one. Point number two, I Roughly, DJ Lundy and Rodney Hill, if they got what they wanted, would be making close to half a million dollars combined. I don't know what FSU's retention budget is, but if you're paying your RB3 slash maybe RB2 for next year and your your linebacker who's good but has some coverage liabilities, like half a million dollars each, like you're not going to have a good roster. Not so, each. Not each. Not each combined. Oh, combined. Oh, combined. Um, I thought I said that at the, at the front of it. I know I'm rambling. Yeah, but you said yeah. I just want to make sure. You tripped Regard- yourself. It happens. Regardless, I think that is something as we see a lot of fan pushback and frustration because they've talked about 
you know, donating to the battle's end. It's been an exquisite like effort from FSU fans and for the battle's end. And you want those immediate returns, right? Uh, but then does that mean you throw quote unquote stupid money around? Do you spend recklessly to what you think is not fair market value? And my understanding, and I'm totally like of the belief that this is legitimate, that for the most part, like FSU is offering its retention, player retention, like very fair market value, if not going above and aboard to go ahead and avoid situations like this, to reward yeah. guys who have done things the right way. You're, you're, is that an amen, Zach? Yeah. Like, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, like they're not offering, like there's some narrative that like, I guess Miami fans or that staff are trying to push that Florida state's like not paying their players enough on their roster. And that's why all these guys are entering the portal, like competitive, like when you look at the market, like, Florida State needs linebackers, but like there's a just because you need a linebacker one um, and you need probably another, they were already probably going to add another transfer linebacker, doesn't mean you just pay up to whatever price that player wants, right? Like that's bad business. And, and if you're donating to the battle's end and that's how those deals are being done, you like that's way more of a red flag. Um, towards like wanting to join and be a part of the collective uh, rather than, you know, what they're doing right now, which is being fair um, and paying guys what they're worth. And like you said, Brennan, maybe even a little bit more than that um, because they do value guys that, you know, are loyal to the program and have um, invested multiple years in developing in Tallahassee. Um, so, yeah, I would just, there's a notion of like, why isn't Battles End paying up for these guys? Well, because at some point it's not worth it, um, especially for guys that probably don't have like NFL upside. So, yeah, to me, I, I think they're they're doing a good job at that. Um, like, yeah, I, I just I think that a lot of the, the narratives that go on about, you know, why isn't FSU doing a better job of trying to keep these guys in the roster? Well, there's a lot more to it than that. So I hope that provides some kind of insight into how that works. There is an effort to keep guys on the roster. Yeah, but, but like they're saying, like it's not. It's like, not just you don't just spend to spend. Yeah, you don't. They don't just get to name a price and then like, oh, we need you on the roster, so you're getting that price. Like it has to be fair, competitive to what the market looks like. Yeah, and, and, the, for, and on, for the, mar- on the market term, on the market term, it's a market with no guardrails, no no guidelines. Which is contracts aren't published. Yeah, contracts aren't published. You know. Guys are allowed to go try to set the benchmark of what they expect to get. The issue is that in some cases, they're not ever going to achieve that. And they're not going to know that till it's too late. In most cases, Chris, like I think that happens more often than not. Like as we've seen for the last, like, and, and there's going to be some like Micah Pittman last year was offered something really, really good to go and play at a good program. And there yeah, were people in the building that said, go do that. Go go ahead and do that. And, he, and, he because, went, and, and he also, was, yeah, he, he missed. He played in two games in 2023, which was the expectation. Florida State did not think he was going to be able to play for the majority of that season, or at least the beginning part. He played in like he played like 20 snaps. There are examples where it works out. There are examples Absolutely. where, it, and it that's does. not an indictment on him. He he made a smart financial choice by doing that. I think it's just for Florida State fans that are kind of like worrying about every one of these entries, like our possible entries. I mean, look at the article I dropped. I dropped it like multiple times throughout the season, but I dropped the final, like how did FSU's 2022 departures perform this past season? And they're like, 
two or three success stories. And I, and I hope that those guys go on to have great careers and, you know, their future years at the collegiate level and whatever other level are great. But like, like you mentioned, like Derek McClendon left the program and had like a, a half, one and a half sacks and he's now declaring for the NFL draft in 2023. Um, and he graduated in like dessert, whatever. Like he yeah. can go, but like yeah, I, but I don't think any your... of us. I don't think any of us fault anybody for going to the portal. Like it's it's too. It would be, I don't know what the right word is. It would be foolish to like emotionally care that a guy's going to the portal. Like they're welcome to. Yes, I think more so. Our perspective is that in some cases guys go because maybe they think they can speed up this process or get a better opportunity somewhere or financially it makes more sense, whatever the reason. And in a lot of cases, it's just not true. You you can't make something happen that's not ready to happen. Uh, and I, I guess that's where we're at. Now, it's worked conversely really well for FSU. There's been instances where guys haven't come here and had much success. Gilbert Edmond this past season is an example. He's still, he's still your backup at, like, you know what right. I mean? Like, but there's been examples where it has, obviously, a lot of them. Trey Benson, Jermaine Johnson, plenty of others you can point yes. to. Yeah. yeah. So, like, but FSU's been a uniquely really good case of this hitting at a high rate, working out well. And FSU also having luck or the perfect storm this past offseason, not this current one that we're entering into, but the prior one of a lot of guys sticking it out, staying together and putting their heads down and working towards something. I just don't think that's what it really is, though, in the national landscape and most off-seasons. It's, it's going to be really tough for schools to consistently have a great deal of success and comfort in what their roster is, how it's built, how it's put together, and where it's going to be when December rolls around. One, the calendar is unfair to everybody in the college football landscape, teams preparing for bowls, the kids themselves, kids are put into rushed decisions, the coaches, because while you're trying to close out a high school class or recruiting a portal class while preparing for a bowl while having coaching changes, it's pure cluster, but it is what it is. And it's the thing they have to navigate. And it's, it's, it's not good for the college game. Um, restructuring the calendar would be good for the college game, restructuring the concepts and the way we go about doing this, the windows of entry into the portal, the ability to, you know, be in the portal, the ability to go in and out of portal, things of that sort, all that stuff has to be thought out and none of it has been. So we're dealing with repercussions of that. And I think FSU is just right there with everybody else in the college landscape compared to last year where they were, you know, kind of, you know, riding high and having a great deal of success. And I just, I think that's tough to replicate. I, I think, I forget how I termed it to you earlier today, Brendan, when we were talking about it, but I, I think last year has to be viewed in the prism of like, that's a unique case. That's a, that's the best case scenario. It's, that's just very tough to replicate and achieve again. Not the rules, yeah. what you said. And that was yeah. with the idea of retaining as much proven commodities. And it was this perfect storm of you hit on multi-year transfers. You had a quarterback who loves this university and was willing to come back and be the face of it. And probably could have gotten a little bit more had he gone and tested the open market. And then you did an amazing job filling in uh, gaps with both a good recruiting class that helped out with special teams in depth with, with high school ranks, but more importantly for the 2023 season, uh, transfer portal success and, and hitting on most of those. So yeah. Uh, and that was in like conjunction with, you know, FSU's recruiting department getting more stabilized with the battle's end coming into existence to be able to retain players in a way that was efficient. Um, yeah. So all that was a, a perfect storm for FSU. And 
I think what we're seeing this offseason, it might be a little bit more extreme just because of the success FSU had and because of the abrupt end to the regular season with the snub. I think that's an accelerator for some of this. Yeah, um, but but I don't think this is like uncommon. And that, that's the final thing I wanted to bring up, guys, the final point. And I think it kind of meshes together everything we all talked about is this like when a player enters the portal or announces they're entering the portal, what I've found really fascinating is these different reactions on a very like varied level. Uh, so you see some fans that are getting mad at a collective. You see some man- fans that are getting mad at the player. You see players who are leaving getting mad at fans. You see players who aren't even involved getting mad at fans. It's all interesting because as of right now, and I players should be paid for the work that they're putting in, in my opinion, like that years now. But they're but what the NCAA, NCAA has done has made it okay for fan X, fan Y to pay for the players or business X, business Y to pay for the players instead of in lieu of like them really compensating the players fair compensation. So if you're using the fan base and going on social media to stir up an emotion from the fan base and then pushing back at fans saying they don't know what they're talking about, well, those are also some of the people who are helping fund your finances. And I just find it all a very interesting muddy conglomeration of like uh, emotions and money and uh, I, I don't know I don't know where it leads I don't know what it goes to for like not just Florida State just college football in general but the amount of tension that we see each time when a player enters the transfer portal or uses social media as leverage for it. like I don't think that's going away I don't think that's a thing that people are you know going to adjust to anytime because Fans are entitled to be angry at it because they're paying for it. Like it, it's part of it now. And there's no other sport that's like this at this time. The fans pay, yes, like tickets to go to games and all other sports. Technically, you pay their salary, but it's not as direct of a transaction as this one. It is not, I'm sending $20 a month to the Battle's End or to whatever other collective to be a part of this. Uh, this is this is unique. It's unique to college football. And I think it speaks to uh the institution as NCAA just kind of sticking its head in the sand and and here we are it's this wonderful bloody mess the trojan horse of college athletics needs to just hurry up and arrive it needs to be where their employees and it's a corporation and it's going to kill a lot of other sports when we get there because there's a lot of schools that aren't going to be able to afford football and everything else when it gets there that's the reality of it especially those schools that aren't part of massive tv deals you know i.e FSU currently, who's trying to get out of their current situation because of that very reason. So, yeah, just got to get there. Like, you know, I don't know if it'll be next year, 10 years held, but it's coming. Like, we keep trending that way. Every time they try to put people into a certain, the NCAA tries to put people into a certain uh, parameter rule set and it gets challenged in court, it gets shot down. You know, we saw that again here with the two-time transfer rule recently with the injunction that's involved with that. So, yeah, yeah. Like we're through, just, like we're, we're gonna keep after, kicking the can down road, road to get to where we're ultimately going to get, which is their employees. They have to be employees. If we're paying them money, college athletics, paying football players money, they need to be employees. And there needs to be a structure to it and a way to control it and a way to build market parameters and, you know, do things. Now, is there still going to be cheating? And yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure that's never going away. This is college football. That's half the reason we love the crap. But like 
it's just so non-structured at this point that it's mind-blowingly awful. Like, like there is no way to put the genie back in the bottle other than turning them into employees, which is what we're ultimately always going to end up getting to. The NCAA thing that Chris referenced uh, would have been really great for Florida State and Daryl Jackson like three weeks ago. Although apparently a dominant defense doesn't really uh, match you much in the world of uh, the college football playoff committee. Ooh, do we want to talk about Kirk Herbstreet's uh, – what, what what word was it, Chris? The rant? Unhinged? Unhinged, yes. That was a word that I may have uh, thrown into the conversation for a title there, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, mental health's important. Herbie needs to get some help. He, has a Dude, does he, he doesn't know how to use the return key, man. Like, just all jumbled up into one long paragraph. This is bothering him, and it's funny. I had a conversation, I don't think you'd mind me sharing this with Trey Rowland, like, recently about, like, I don't know how much to say. I, I've had at least one ESPN personality reach out and be frustrated with stuff from the fan base and call me. Uh, what did he call me? That really pissed chief? me off. Chief, no, he called, maybe? He called me. He boss? called me boss three times. I responded with chief in turn, uh, but clearly, because don't call me boss. Uh, Should have called him pal or. I know my boy Brandon over here loves being on Twitter, but like, just turn the damn thing off. Well, that's, like, it's like, not that hard. That's kind of my general point here is like this has to be like the the backlash that some of these personalities who spoke out against Florida State with Kirk Herbstreet being kind of at the forefront of it, like are not dealing with the backlash from the FSU fan base very well. And to me, I'm kind of like, did what did you expect? Like Kirk Herbstreet can say it was his. Listen, if it just ended at the opinion of. I don't think Florida State's one of the four best teams in college football. I don't think that they're worthy of being in the playoff. That's your opinion. But when they started doing all these mental gymnastics and hurdles of like, oh, yeah, the, we're going to enforce this rule with injuries, but we aren't going to enforce the rule with injuries when Michigan, you know, misses its best offensive lineman. You know, that, that's okay. Uh, just the, the, convers- the conversation, and you can go down point by point by point. It's been, to me, uh, generally uh, intellectually dishonest. It has been beyond irritating and frustrating because there's nothing you can do and you might just have to kind of sit back and take it if you're these guys on ESPN that concocted narratives or fueled them for a while and yeah there's a point where like don't be personal don't talk about people's family like yes just basic human like be decent but like I understand why FSU fans are pissed ESPN wasn't very decent when it shoved Jordan Travis in front of the camera on Saturday knowing damn well what was going to happen or having Sunday. a good idea of it. Or and, then on, on, and then on Sunday, with him being in front and center with that camera, when they knew exactly what was going to happen and zooming in on him with the towel over his face, freaking broken leg, like up in the air, still like on, like at the cast, like, no. Nah. You, don't, you don't get to then play the woe is me card. And if they just want to be villains and they want to just have, you know, be potsters and be the entertainment branch, fine. That's what you are. You're ESPN, you're entertainment. You also sometimes do news and that's why it's so muddied, but no, like you don't then get to be the martyr too and do the woes mean thing. That's a bunch of bullshit. And I'm not here for that one. So no, Brandon's I, I will, I read the mentions once in a while, but I almost never respond to the mentions. And I love all the people that love me and all the people that hate me. And it's all good. Like it is what it is. Cause at the end of the day, I shut my computer and I'm done with Twitter. Like I, I just can't imagine. I don't think I've ever fired off a rant like that on twitter god knows i think i'd get too lazy to type that much on twitter you're not on twitter blue so you don't get like 20 that's true i don't get all those characters because god knows i'm not giving elon that money (laughs) all right 
we got recruiting stuff to get to. We went 30 minutes on NIL stuff and player retention. Yeah, Armando Blunt still visiting as of right now. Go ahead, Zach. Run with it. At 315, with, with a big official visit weekend coming up starting tomorrow. We'll get into all of that. But I think Armando Blunt, Zach, go ahead. 315 on Thursday afternoon. What's happening, dude? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say right now, I don't think this is trending in Florida State's favor. I don't know for certain if he's visiting this weekend, but I would suggest that it that it's unlikely to happen at this point in time. I guess we'll see where he shows up. But the returns that I'm getting after checking in with sources on Thursday, uh, I, I do not think that Armando Blunt will be on campus this weekend. Yeah, the intention was for him to be on campus. He's been on the schedule Correct. for this weekend for a good while. Miami's been a concern for several weeks now. And, uh, yeah. All right. So there will be things I think will, because it's happening in real time, I don't think it's fair to put on Zach to talk about it right now because it all could change. And we will talk about it when we do the postmortem of the signing class. Fair. And I'm sure it'll be on Knowles 24-7 before then. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Zach's been warning people about this for the last few weeks and following where Armando Blunt would be in that final weekend was going to be a huge data point. I think I uh, pat myself on the back, talked about it fairly uh, as well as I can articulately uh, earlier in the week. I didn't say articulately, very articulately, and that's wasn't by design. Um, this has just been a long time coming, and I'm of the belief and have been of the belief since really Zach started getting weird signs about a month ago that whether Armando Blunt signs with Florida State on Wednesday or whether, well, let's say if he signed with him on Wednesday, that it would just be a continual, like if he signed there Wednesday and then was having a bad spring or didn't play a lot in year one, like Miami would be a persistent pain in the you-know-what for Florida State uh, back-channeling and stuff. So part of me is if he does go to Miami publicly, like, yeah, it's a loss. Uh, it's a loss because the defensive end board for this class, once again, uh, is not super robust with options after your, your first, like, tier one of guys. And that's been a continual issue for FSU the last few years. If you miss out on your top guys, tier two, tier three are well-documented. We can move on. We don't have to go into the weeds on this right now. There'll be a time for it later. Point being is it hurts because he's a really talented player, a guy that you had to work hard for to flip. Uh, and looks like there's a pretty good chance he will now flip away from you. Uh, and you don't have a whole lot of great options in this class to, to pivot from it. And, and just you'll probably have to be reliant in the transfer portal again. FSU's gotten away with it up through this point. Jermaine Johnson, Jared Verse have been home runs for you. Gilbert Edmond, not as much. We'll get to transfer portal, defensive end targets, and a familiar name of someone who you missed on a couple of years ago. Uh, it's not a great look for Florida State if it happens. At the same time, I feel at peace with it because this recruitment just didn't feel good for a while, and I feel like you probably have to be battling the same battle uh, they're doing now while he was on the roster. And I don't think that's super healthy for anyone involved. Cool. Yeah. Let's cool. move on. Okay. So that's one development. FSU is working to retain KJ Bolden still. He's part of this class and then everyone else we feel pretty good about. I know there's rumors with Charles Lester in Colorado, but you guys have reported that he's been in Tallahassee for multiple days um, yeah, saw him on Dallas. campus on days running a bit together, but I believe, believe it was I'll Monday wait. and then again on Tuesday. Whatever day the Indiana offensive lineman who then committed back to Indiana 
visited. I saw him that day when he was departing, when he, uh, Carter Smith was departing, and yeah. I saw him the day prior. And we think Zach reported that Charles Lester's plan B in Tallahassee for the foreseeable future. Yeah, he told me two weeks he's going to be in Tallahassee, then he'll join the team for bowl practices on December 26th. And he's Not been saying doing- that it couldn't happen, but it would be really, really surprising. And, hey, Dion's pulled off some DB surprises before, uh, defensive back surprises before. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, you can't rule it out. But um, if the kid flipped to Colorado while in Tallahassee, that would be a heck of a thing. So yeah. um, regardless, K.J. Bolden, you're trying to withstand a late push from Georgia. But more importantly, I think Auburn, a lot of rumors with NIL and with them being very, very, very committed. We'll see. FSU is supposed to have the last official visit this weekend. We're all supposed to have the last official visit with Armando Blunt, but that's up in the air. I feel much better about K.J. Bolden and have. Uh, and then Armando Blunt, but yeah, that, that's a battle. Uh, and then Chris, let's get into the other official visitors. Let's start off. I think we want to get into the conversation with transfers separately because that's newer. Let's talk about the other like high school guys who are slated right now. Yeah. So the expectation was Bolden and Blunt. We'll see on Blunt. The other four high schoolers are all committed to FSU. Cameron Davis, longtime commitment since February of 2021 from just up the road in Albany, Georgia. Jamari Howard of Miami, Norland, been committed since the start of November. LeWayne McCoy, also from Miami Central, is doing this weekend. And then Manasseh Atite from out west there. He's also coming in this weekend. Um, I believe all of them are early enrollees except for Atite, I believe, is not as of right now. Is that correct, Zach? I believe you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to go. Oh, I didn't realize Brendan disappeared. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, to go, in, just to go in with those guys, I, I think – not much to worry about with Manasseh, with Jamari Howard, Lewayne McCoy, and Cam Davis. Obviously, Cam Davis has been committed for nearly three years now. Um, he's excited to get in, into the program and kind of try to work his way into the rotation in year one. I think he's yeah, pretty ready. Yeah, excited about him too. Yeah, he's pretty ready-made, and he's a really mature player. Um, I think he's I think he's going to do well at Florida State. And then, you know, Manasseh, like a developmental offensive lineman, um, who have to reshape his body a little bit, but he'll get in the summer. And then two South Florida prospects in Jamari Howard and Lewayne McCoy. Jamari is a toolsy defensive back who has, you know, length at six foot two. And Lewayne McCoy has some position versatility, but he'll start at wide receiver. And he's been like really impressive uh, in multiple different settings, you know, seven on and then obviously in-game stuff during his senior year at Miami Central. Oh, hi, guys. Yeah, I tried to hand it off to you and then look down and that little box was just sitting empty. I had to get water and then go to the bathroom. I could hear everything you were saying. You couldn't hear me saying, I'm not here. So the transfers, we've got two quarterbacks we've talked a little bit about earlier this week. Do we want to start with them or do we want to start with the edge? I feel let's like we've talk- already talked about the quarterbacks on, so... All right, so well, let's... Real quick, we've talked about the pros, the cons of the two quarterbacks. Honestly, guys, like, we have covered the crap out of the quarterbacks. We've been ahead of the curve on that and proud of our reporting on it. Uh, Cameron Ward from Washington State, and then uh, DJ Uyangalale. I'm getting so much better at it. Uh, from Oregon State are both visiting. Uh, we have been able to confirm... Uh, through our own sources, as well as help from from national pundits as well, uh, both the dates for Cam Ward, which will be he arrives Thursday evening as planned. This evening, uh, yeah, this evening, meet of the visit will be Friday, 
leaves early on Saturday. DJ Uzak helped me out as a Friday evening arrival with kind of Saturday being the main day. Yeah. And then, yeah, he said late, late on Friday arrival, then he didn't know when he was leaving, but it sounds like Saturday is the bulk of his visit. So similar schedules, just one day apart for them. Uh, very little yeah. crossover there, if if any. I just need the, I need the photo of them crossing paths. Bowden statue in the middle, one going yeah. each way. You do. Um, so yeah, that'll be. I'll, that'll, I'll work on it. Maybe I'll go up top. Birds nest it. Oh, um, that'd be really cool. Now I need I need to see the eye contact and who's like going to be the alpha, and that's how you make your decision. Uh, but I like both quarterbacks. I see value in both. I know some of the fan base is kind of weird with DJU because they've seen not so great moments for him, but like I again implore you to watch him at Oregon State. Like he's not a perfect quarterback. He's potential to be a very good college quarterback and, and a top 15 guy like in, in the country this upcoming season with a good supporting cast. So it'll be interesting to see. The market for DJU seems like Florida State is the market. As far as Cam Ward, he was officially visiting Miami. They were hopeful to go in for the kill. Kill shot did not land. Uh, but we'll see. You know, they are going to be persistent. They are going to be motivated to try to uh, finalize that one. FSU have a chance to, I think, kind of see what he's all about from a personality standpoint, uh, see how he would fit into your culture this week. Like this, you know, FSU is going to try to put itself in a position to maybe get Cam Ward. I think Cam Ward has to sell himself to Florida State as much as anything, to be totally honest. Like I think that is much on the table as, as anything. I know he's physically talented. You're going to see if this guy could be your QB1. I think they have a better idea of who DJU is just from like relationships with like coaching staff and um, quarterback coaches and that kind of stuff. They have a better idea of of who he is. So it'll be a really interesting couple of days in terms of seeing like who both these guys are. Uh, I'm boring Zach. He is yawning. He only does that when I talk. It's probably because I talk a lot and ramble dead to me. Let's talk about the official visitor at defensive end. Marvin Jones Jr. entered the transfer portal on Tuesday. By Wednesday, we were hearing buzz that Florida State had varying levels of interest. Uh, that can leave it up to a little bit of like interpretation. Uh, but if varying, I guess, ends up meaning that he is officially visiting this weekend, it was varying, uh, if not just very direct interest in getting the FSU legacy and the, the former recruit. Guy FSU probably finished second for a couple of classes back to Georgia. Chris, uh, remind the people who MJJ was if they weren't familiar with them, uh, and they sure as hell know who Shade Tree is. But for some of like the people who aren't into recruiting all the time, uh, who was who was Marvin Jones as a recruit, and, and kind of who is he now? Yeah, son of Shade Tree, FSU legend Marvin Jones Sr., one of the better linebackers in college football history. Marvin Jones Jr., technically from Sunrise, Florida, but played at American Heritage, which you can say is from Fort Lauderdale or Plantation. I don't know how Zach, the South Florida expert, expert would. Uh, divide those two but i've heard it called both i used to call it plantation i know that much uh six five two fifty at uga played sparingly in year one played a good bit this past year started against bama in the sec championship he had 12 tackles seven solo four and a half tackles for loss and a sack this past season also credited with four quarterback pressures a fumble forced and a fumble recovered on the season uh, played outside backer there. They're more of like a 3-4 type system than FSU's front four. He would be a defensive end for FSU. That's what they're recruiting him as. That's what they have interest in him as. That's what they view him as, and that's what they need him as. Uh, beyond that, not a whole lot. But, yeah, I mean, his recruitment was interesting. A lot of people always kind of penciled him into FSU to some degree because of the relationship with his father and, you know, ties to the program. But he made his own decision. He chose Georgia and, you know, 
that's about it. I, I, yeah, I don't want to dredge up old monsters. Sorry, I was uh, not paying full attention. No, I was not. doing something on our site. Anyway, um, yeah, MJJ. I think he has emerged obviously as a big portal need um, for Florida State because they are looking for multiple defensive ends in the portal. And uh, yeah, I mean, we reported. Matt Zenitz reported for Knowles 24-7 that he will be on campus this weekend. Chris did a good job of breaking kind of the backstory of that down. Um, but, yeah, it seems like Florida State's kind of the early favorite. Um, we'll see if kind of Miami, they're the other rumored school involved. We'll see if they can make a, a move for him. Um, but I think, you know, if you're Florida State, you hope you can kind of lock it down soon. Yeah, and Marvin Jones Jr. has two years of eligibility remaining. FSU has had two transfer defensive ends on campus already. Georgia Tech defensive end Kyle Kennard, who's actually currently at South Carolina on a visit. And they also had a – oh, God. My Samuel Oklahoma. Thank you, from Pitt, who was also on campus, and we expect to take a couple other visits before reaching a decision. Uh, the other example of a defensive end that we have talked about previously is R.J. Oban from Duke. He committed to Notre Dame, did not end up taking a visit to FSU. He was originally on the schedule for this weekend when he set the two visits to Notre Dame last weekend in Florida State this coming weekend. That's about to start. But he went ahead and committed to Notre Dame and took himself out of the mix there. We believe FSU is evaluating a good bit of defensive alignment, but at this point, the two that already visited as well as MJJ is sort of where that board set sits at this moment. Yeah. Uh, Fidel Diggs from Texas A&M has shown some interest in FSU, but Syracuse, yeah. we've talked, I think Alabama. Before, to, be, to beat out and then Alabama uh, LT Overton is someone that the staff has apparently had some interest in and visited. Yeah, but like, Mike Norvell went by and saw this speaks to LT Overton is a former top, was he a number one recruit? He, he was a he was a high end blue chip. He was like, way up there, reclassified, big time signee. Um, South Carolina has been in that mix. Bama has been in that mix. I'm sure there's some others. So, so the defensive end board, and we think FSU is going to need defensive ends. We've been pretty transparent with that. Just looking at the way the roster is, is shaped up, and some of the aforementioned issues with high school recruiting at defensive end to be pretty blunt with it. I know pun intended sack just put in a flip pick for Armando blunt. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but like, yeah, you're, you're going to need to have a pretty expansive board and it's a decent defensive end class in the transfer portal. I really like Diggs a lot. Fidel Diggs a lot. I wanted to make sure I enunciated that. Um, and MJJ has a lot of potential. Like I think it, it, his game didn't set the what? Just nothing. You're, your way of saying that was hilarious. Um, go ahead. Sorry. That MJJ has a lot of potential. No, the thing before that. About Diggs. Go ahead, please. Yeah, D I G G S. No one's gonna clip that. <laughs> I hate this. this podcast is killing me slowly. Um, I really like Marvin Jones Jr.'s upside. Like, I think there is a lot of like, there's no one else on the roster who looks like that and has the athletic like movement skills that he has. But also, like, I think watched him pretty closely yesterday. I think went through four full games of his. Uh, doesn't play with the, like, constant motor that you would like that would match, like, his his talent. So, like, that has to get better. If you do get him, if you're at Florida State, you have two years to really kind of, like, can't really leave. So, if this is a serious avenue for him, like, you have the chance to coach him up really, really hard and kind of see what happens. Uh, point being, though, like there's a couple of guys out there who I think are really talented, uh, a bunch of other defensive ends who are solid. 
FSU doesn't seem to be in a rush, really. I think MJJ is the first guy. I think that's excited them. Uh, he is ranked as number three edge in the portal by 24-7 at this time. 93 uh, grade. Yeah. yeah. That's, Prince an, that's Lee, upside based. Prince Lee from Florida is the top ranked edge. He's probably going to end up at Ole Miss is what it's pointing towards right now. Trey Moore was another one. He's dealing with Texas, Ohio State. Uh, they rank defensive linemen as a whole, so he's a fifth ranked overall among all defensive linemen, edges, and interior. Walter Nolan's number one overall, LT Overton, who was referenced, who's kind of got inside-outside versatility, is number four ranked. And for comparison's sake, R.J. Obens next after Marvin Jones Jr. and Tyler Barron, who we referenced earlier when talking about financials of the market, is next defensive end up. So that's kind of where it sits. And then uh, Okalola and Diggs are the two that round out the top ten. among D-I-G-G-S. Yes. Um, let's take a quick commercial break. We come back from the other side. We'll talk about Zach's flip picks and just flip targets for FSU in general. Welcome back to On the Bench. Zach, while we were recording, uh, sometime in between you spacing out and yawning, you put in a flip pick for Amanda Blunt to go to Miami. Sorry, I was responding to uh, messages. Yes. Uh I got word that it's very unlikely that he's at Florida State this weekend, and I expect him to visit Miami instead. And because of that, I've logged a crystal ball pick for Armando Blunt to flip to Miami. I think, you know, we've talked at length on here about how Miami wasn't going to let up, and they have some things working in their favor um, within that recruitment. And I think they're going to, it's going to pay off for the Hurricanes, who will most likely keep one of the top players in South Florida home. You know, obviously, there's still a little less than a week to go until signing day, so stuff could change. Um, but I do think that this is where it's trending, so that's why I've loved that crystal ball pick in favor of the uh, Canes to Lynn Blunt. Not a, not a surprise. Yep. Cool. I just want to let that all sink in real quick. That was great. Um, we just made Chris even more of a villain. Why? Awesome. What did I do? Want to see a magic play. trick? <laughs> I thought Brendan made a very good point about Blunt on Monday Thank when I had the you. LJ McCray conversation. People have brought that up a lot. What was the LJ? Oh, basically that I really struggle to care. Like I just when really they posted a photo of the in-home visit, like on Twitter, people were commenting, commenting, "Oh, did Chris like was Chris there to say like, hey, it's not worth it." <laughs> Oh yes, I was wondering what would break first. You it's like Calder Falk with darkness. a different name. I'm going from um, from the Joker to Bane. I think is more going to be your. Uh, I think you're still a Joker, fat Joker. <laughs> All right, other flip targets. <laughs> I can't wait for this. Jeremiah Smith. Uh, Jeremiah Smith and LJ McCray are the two main flip targets we're going to talk about here. Jeremiah Smith, the number one wide receiver in the country, the number one player in the country, a prodigious uh, prospect if there ever was one. We've talked about him ad nauseum. You guys know who he is. The big data point that we are waiting to see, where does he end up this weekend? He used his if that would be That would be key. That would be, that would be significant if he ends up nowhere because that means FSU, not that it's the end-all be-all, but if you subscribe to follow the visits, FSU would finish basically this calendar year since March, uh, since things really pick up with recruiting for for the cycle, with six visits, including the last one for Jeremiah Smith. Ohio State would be at four. Florida would be at four. And Miami would be at three. 
Now, if he goes and shows up at Miami, which I think would be the main concern for me, like I think that's the school that Zach and I have talked about, like you'd be looking for. Then all of a sudden you're looking down south as being as much of a threat as the team he's currently committed to up north as Ohio State. My gut wrote about this morning. I still think it's FSU. I haven't wavered from, like, I don't feel better about the 51% chance I put on it a month ago. I don't feel a whole lot worse about, like, I'm still there between 50 and 51%. I think it's a coin flip. I think FSU has positioned itself really well. I also understand that games will be played uh, off the field, and you just kind of have to ride that out and see what the next few days bring. Zachary, what you say, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I think that my confidence level has stayed the same, hasn't really gone up or gone down uh, over the last month that we've been saying that we feel like Florida State is the threat to flip him. And uh, I think I said probably, you know, a month ago at that, uh, yeah, over a month ago um, when Florida State hosted Miami, beat them, and Jeremiah Smith was in attendance that I thought, that the flip was not only probable, but or not only possible, but probable. So I'm still in the same boat. Um, I, I am monitoring kind of where he's at this weekend, if anywhere. I think that would be obviously an important data point because it is the final official visit weekend before signing day next Wednesday. But heading into the weekend, I feel pretty good about Florida State's chances of pulling the number one player in the country. So if he if we get into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend, basically, and God, I'm really struggling. Um, and Jeremiah Smith is not reported to have gone anywhere. If no one knows where he is and we believe that it's not being kept a secret, we just, he just decided to stay home. He just decided to not go and visit uh, another school over the weekend. By or Sinone, sponsored by the Turner group. That's a win for Florida state. Bye. I, I do think that's a win um, if he doesn't go anywhere because that means that Florida State got the last on-campus in-person impression on him. Obviously, coaches have gone in-home with him this week, but Mike Norvell went to Shamanah Madonna High School on Thursday along with multiple staffers, and they're expected to go in-home with Jeremiah and his family tonight, Thursday night. Um, so that'll be one of the last meetings he has with um, you know, coaching staff. Because I think Miami went in earlier this week with Mario Cristobal. I don't know when UF goes in or Ohio State. I assume that they're, you know, at some point in this week as well. But FSU gets likely the last on-campus impression and one of the last in-person impressions through an in, via an, in, an in-home visit. Um, so, yeah, I would absolutely buy that that's a win for FSU. Chris, buy or Sanone? I'm going to go Sanone just to be pessimistic a little bit. Okay, Joker. I, I'm in a believe it when it happens type of scenario here. With That's Jeremy. not what the. I don't know. care what the question asked. I'm trying to add diversity to the show, Zach. Just let it roll. Okay. I just don't like your argument. FSU's talking that Zach would not like an argument that someone. FSU's done a really good job it. recruiting them, and they put themselves in a prime position to pull off a flip. I'm just so wholeheartedly going with the I'll believe it when it happens on this one. Not saying it won't happen. Just. I'll believe it when it does. Chris is dead inside. And then further evidence of that. I'm more alive than I've ever been. (laughs) That's exactly what a supervillain would say (laughs) as he's watching the world burn. Um, LJ McRae is the other name we'll keep an eye on here. Dawned on me today when I was writing an article about flip picks. 
that that dude committed to Florida back in late October after a bye week and when they squeaked by a crappy South Carolina team and Florida did not win a game since then. And if they hold on to him, good on you, Billy. That's great. Maybe that'll keep your seat a little less warm for the offseason. Then the games will get played next season and we'll see. But for now, he's committed to Florida. I believe Florida State has done a decent job chipping away at it. I just, if he didn't commit to you the first time, if he hasn't flipped yet, if unless he just shows up randomly on Saturday, which we're not expecting, I just, in my gut, I don't feel like that's probable for Florida State. It's not impossible. Auburn is the school that I think I keep an eye on. Auburn got him there as well. So he's at Florida State this past weekend. He was at Auburn as well. I think Auburn makes a push. I think the appeal of the SEC ends up making an impact there. We'll see. Do we have any intel or thoughts on that? I just that's something that we're monitoring. And I, I really don't know other than a gut feel on it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like it's a 50-50 chance he flips from Florida, but I don't know if that's towards Auburn or Florida State. I guess we'll monitor if he goes anywhere this weekend because from what I've seen reporting elsewhere, like I, I don't know that he has plans to be anywhere. And if he does, they're not on anyone's radar publicly yet as far as in the media. So I am going to monitor that. I think that's obviously super important. Um, he was at FSU and Auburn last weekend. We'll see if UF tries to get him back in to kind of secure things. Um, FSU obviously went in home on Wednesday with him. We'll see. Like a, I don't, I don't know if I'm feeling super confident, but I do think there's a chance that Florida State can pull it off. All right. So if that happens, like that's obviously changes the tenor and tone of like what we're discussing. But in the context of not knowing what LJ McRae is going to do on our end, maybe people know more than, than we do. Maybe they don't and they're just going to not show up anywhere this weekend. Um, the context of Armando Blunt not coming to Florida State this weekend, not being someone they could conduct an in-home visit with at the end of the week. Uh, likely flipping to Miami's, it would seem right now with all evidence that we have. Uh, FSU also, as we discussed in the last podcast, had an official visit set up with uh, high-end three-star, low-end four-star Maryland defensive end. What's his name? Lugard Edekpai. There you go. Attaboy. Um, they canceled that official visit. So you have Dee Holmes committed in this class currently. The only edge player. Uh, you are making a play for MJJ, who not necessarily proven, but has upside and has proven to at least be like competent at the power five level. But he played not like, for Georgia. He's good. He played for Georgia, had a 60 something PFF grade and like 150 snaps, like replacement level. And I say not proven, I mean as like a starter. Yeah. Uh, but someone with, with clear upside. Uh, but you don't have him. And Miami's going to threaten you for that. I think he ends up at Florida State for what it's worth uh, as of right now, as we're reporting. You know what? what we know. Uh, but I'm saying all this, like, okay, let's take a look at the defensive end board real quick. And like, why would FSU tell a potentially high upside defensive end and Lugard like to not come this weekend? I, that's been on the board all over the place in the last 10 minutes, Zach. I know we're reacting to stuff in real time here, but I'm just trying to make sense of like, what, what pieces are, are we missing in this equation? Cause I feel like there's something that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's some under-the-radar high school edge prospect that we don't know about that's never been mentioned. Um, or, or a transfer who hasn't entered the market yet that they think they yeah, have a shot but, at, potentially. But like, even, even so, like, I, obviously, that transfers do impact who you take in the high school ranks. But this is the guy that you went and, like, visited 
uh, and didn't in home with. I'm I'm very certain of that. At least last week, at least one time during the contact period in Lugard. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me on paper. I'll just say that. Um, if you if they feel confident behind the scenes that they're going to flip LJ McRae, then this is all a moot point, right? Like, I, kudos to them. Um, but I don't think that that's the case based on what I'm hearing right now. So, unless we're completely in the dark of another high school recruitment or there's a portal player that's not yet in the portal that would be, you know, trending towards Florida State if they did enter, like, Maybe, you know, this doesn't matter. But to me, I said this on the podcast on Monday. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why you wouldn't take a player or at least have him visit. Um, you know, when players are on official visits to Florida State, they do measurements. So you can get updated real measurements of a player um, and, and kind of gauge what they're like. And in my opinion, these are the types of players that Florida state needs to start investing in, in the high school ranks. Um, because the guys that they've been landing over the past few years are not these long six foot six edge types and kudos to them for getting a guy like DD Holmes, which does kind of fit that billing. But Lugard's a late riser. Um, a guy that hasn't, I don't think has been playing football for all that long. And he's got length. His film is pretty impressive during his senior year. Michigan is in full pursuit of him. Um, if that's a you know tell, they've been one of the best development schools in the entire country over the last five years. I think this is a player that you absolutely take a, a chance on, and or at least you put your hat in the mix. Like to me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But maybe I'm missing something. So I guess what do you guys think? Will Will Lee Crow if all of a sudden some yeah. four star recruit shows up? on Saturday and it would make sense. But yeah, I'm with you like in and of itself, what we know right now on the surface is a little confusing. Yeah. I thought maybe they felt like Maryland had sewn it up. That's where he officially visited last. Oh, but he's at Michigan right now. Or Michigan had a chance like that had become sort of a two horse, right? I don't, I don't think it's it's not, it's not, I've confirmed that it's not because of any other school and what they've done. It's, it was their decision completely on their own. And I think it's because, of other options, but I it's a weird know. deal. I, I've been probably the most hesitant to criticize recruiting because I feel like portal has allowed you to fix things when they don't go well. And the roster has been like, built remarkably well in general yeah. too. But like, it just shouldn't be this hard to recruit D line at FSU at this point. But well, it, it feels, it's a it feels way more complicated than it needs to be. Um, and it feels like they're playing with fire. And to this point in time, they've not been burned by said fire. But at some point, it may creep up on you and bite you in the backside. It's just been three years in a row of your top defensive. Like the, the blue chip guys you're in the mix for, you're in a good position with. Heck, you get commitments from them. Keldrick Falk last year, Armando Blunt this year. MJJ, you felt confident with. Nigel Kelly was uh, committed you to you. From, and then you don't get it. And I just, just think that the thing to me that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, okay, fine. Maybe you're you're not winning out on these high profile recruitments. That's an argument, and it's you know on its own, right? Like maybe you need to upgrade somewhere on the staff. But also, like the most indicting thing is that you don't have quality backup options to those top players that you're pursuing, and it's happened for three or four years in a row. And personally, I don't understand why something's not being changed about it, about the process of how Florida State's doing this. Yeah, of, of maybe having a better 
like safety valve process understanding that like that and, and it yeah there are other positions that are should you know have some worry about them and how they're being recruited but defensive end is one of the most priority positions in football yeah. and you cannot constantly bank on the portal i mean we saw florida state try to pursue another starter in the portal last year and that was Gilbert Edmond, who was being pursued by Florida, LSU, and multiple other schools. And you beat him out, or you beat those schools out for him. Brennan, stop. Um, <laughs> you beat the, you beat those schools out for him, and he turns into like maybe a quality backup player for you. Um, I don't know that there's much thought that he's going to be emerging to some star. So that was one of the best options in the portal last year at Edge, and that's who you got. So that my point is like, I just don't, like you guys said, I don't think it's sustainable. And I think the process or some factor in how this is, how this operation works at that position needs to be changed. Or at the very least evaluated very thoroughly. Cause yeah. And, and, and ultimately the results will come on signing day and we'll see kind of where the the chips fall. Maybe we're, we're acting but but I think this is enough to talk about a trend because it's not just this year. It's not just the Armando Blunt recruitment. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonable. Again, we're reacting to something in real time, but like we are extensions of the fan base to some extent, or at least like we are a platform that talks directly to fans, gets input from them, and it's all over the message board right now. This isn't us gaslighting. Like this is fans that we're reacting. Like we are expressing our opinions on what we know of the process with fans asking questions, kind of going down a similar path because they're seeing similar results. So uh, I think I've also been much like Chris saying, let's pump the brakes sometimes in some of the recruitment stuff with, with a specific position because the roster itself has been developed really well. You're on a 19 freaking game winning streak. Like uh, I know the tone of this conversation, just this podcast in general, doesn't necessarily feel inherently great given where you're at, which is a top five recruiting class right now. And, top five team nationally. Um, but there are things like if you're trying to get to that next level of like consistent elite, like dominance, um, yeah, it needs to be elevated and it needs to get better. And that's, that's how we're judging it because that's the expectation. That's the standard for this program. So, yeah. I just got a text from someone asking, do we need to make coaching changes? Yeah. I mean, that this is that, I don't think so, but like that is, that is the frustration that we're sensing and feeling and absorbing all around us right now from the fan base, even coming off of an amazing season because there's and, things that need to be better. And I'm not trying to soften the landing. They may have Pat Payton. They may land a pretty good DN in the portal who turns into a starter quality guy for them. They may add a depth piece who is a talented piece to go with depth pieces. They already kind of know who and what they are in Byron Turner, Gilbert Edmund, for example. That would be five guys at the position. You wouldn't really have a screaming concern or anything of that sort. I get it all. But it just feels more difficult than it has to be. I think it's the best way I can sum up my thoughts on it. It's like, you know, Falk, you can talk about the reasons why it didn't happen, Alabama kid, all those things. But when it happens in repetitive cycles, you start getting a little concerned. And at some point, you're not going to strike gold like you have with the Jared versus and the Jermaine Johnsons. At some point, you're lucky. I've already seen that. Yeah. We've already seen it. Okay. Uh, I think it's reasonable what we're discussing. I know it's not necessarily pleasant, but like we pride ourselves in, yes, being optimistic, but also being realistic. And we want to paint the path to how things can get better sometimes. And we want to be transparent when we think something necessarily doesn't feel inherently good. 
to us as people with dozens of years combined covering the program. Like, yeah. All right. I want to wrap this up again. I know that the tone of this podcast hasn't always been super optimistic and that's because there's just a lot up in the air right now. Um, I have since December, what second is that when the ACC championship was? Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't exactly been an easy road with this program. Some of that's natural order. Again, calendar, it's unfair. You're going to have guys enter the portal, and some of those guys need to enter open up spaces for high school recruits and portal recruits. But, like, you have the back-and-forth negotiating in a public manner. You know, visit weekends have had a little bit of up-and-down with stuff. You're you're dealing with the portal, which is Wild West in some ways. Like, program needs a little bit of, like, it, it needs an injection of good news, and it probably does come by Wednesday. But hopefully there's not bad news account. So Sorry, here, no, but I think that I think that's fair because I think again that's a representation of how the fan base feels. And Chris, you represent that as well as anyone out there uh, because you are someone who graduated from the school. You care about it. You remain objective as a journalist, and you've done this for a long time. But you are a voice of the fans in many ways. And so, yeah, I I feel like the heaviness and the weight of like the snub and the fallout from it and just the timing of it going into this portion of the off season. All that being said, like they are in the mix for the number one player in the country. You get him. That makes a lot of other things feel pretty good. Even if there are some misses, like you can go ahead and get one of the best defensive ends in the transfer portal this week. And sew that up your starting quarterback for 2024 is probably on campus visiting this week. And it's two guys who will probably be top 20 to top 15 quarterbacks nationally next year which given the transition year that you might be in, like that's not inherently a bad thing. The way I viewed it is you have these moving pieces that we know of in the final stretch. You have transfer quarterback. I always start counting with a pinky. I know that's psychotic. You have Jeremiah Smith. You have LJ McCray, flip prospects. You had Armando Blunt. You still have him technically. Doesn't feel great at this point. Uh, And then you have KJ Bolden. I think that's everyone that I'm going to make a reference to here. If you win out on three of those five, I think you feel pretty good about what this cycle was because the baseline of it is good. Now we're talking and borderline like, great. Can you get to elite? And that's the next step as we view this, this program, as it moves forward, you can get three out of those five and then sprinkle in an MJJ uh, some other transfer portal guys who we will see. I know it's been a weird portal cycle so far. It hasn't been as like transparent and, and clear cut as last one. Um, you know, I think you feel good. If you go under that, then yeah, like you're going to feel like you you missed a window potentially to to elevate uh, at an even higher rate while Florida and Miami are down. So that, that's how I feel. Like we're, it's still TBD. We're still judging it. Uh, we're still evaluating it in real time here. Um, but I am with you, Chris. Like, an injection of energy, some good news, something to kind of hang your hat on to wash off the the musk of the just injustice and disappointment of the snub. Like, yeah, that would be that would be wonderful. Okay. For Chris Nee, for Zach Blostein, Fat Joker, D-I-G-G-S, M-O-N-E-Y. Spelled a lot of things out this week. Uh, this is Ben on the bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I'll talk to you guys next time. Brendan loves eggs.